Lord be with you. With thy spirit. God, our creator, when you speak, there is light and life. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may listen to one another, speak the truth in love, and bear much fruit in the service of your kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Um, we're at um, Romans chapter 8. <coughs> um, we um, have been talking previously in several chapters, Paul going through the law, sin, kind of walking us through um, his thoughts. And so now we're at Romans 8, where in some ways he's reaching a conclusion point, at least for his prior. Um, you know, in, in Romans 7, he was talking about the grace over the power of law and sin. So now we get to... Um, Verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There is therefore, you know, so he's picking up almost in some respects where his statement in chapter 7, verse 6 But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And then the no condemnation, looking back to verse 5, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we couldn't have peace with God through Jesus if we were condemned. This almost is, these four verses get close to being central to uh, Paul's way of thinking. Uh, It's a summary that we could probably sit and read and reread and, um, in fact, uh, N.T. Wright said we probably all ought to memorize it. Uh, but, you know, he gets to it. We see a little bit, and Paul at this point has really not developed his full thought of the Trinity and how he <laughs> develops it in some of the other epistles that he later wrote. But, you know, we see coming out the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's, he's bringing them all together, and we'll see that more through this chapter. He's, he's, you know, if nothing else, starting to develop that theme that we will see later on. He's giving a, a critique of the Jewish law. Um, he's talking about how the law, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Um, you know, so he's showing how it can be fulfilled and that the law does give life. The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Um, he's, 
you know, because, you know, the law in and of itself was good. It was the response to the way the Jews had dealt with the law. Uh, you know, the, the law became all-consuming. And when anything come, you know, that might be good even, becomes all-consuming, it takes away from a lot of other things. And that's what had happened with the Jews, is that there were so many rules and regulations that they tried to march in lockstep with them and not understand why God had given the law to Moses. And so, you know, God condemned the law. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we walk and let the Spirit lead us. We do because the Spirit is there. We listen. And we get into that more, more later on, is that hearing that voice. Um, then, um, something here I wanted to read, but I can't remember why. <coughs> Scott made a great point about this passage. He said that, you know, in earlier chapters, Paul was addressing the question of that raised by the uh, antinomians: should we let sin abound so that grace can operate? And he said, no. This is the reason. He said when he he writes that. Um, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And then he wrote, who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And Scott's point is that, is that Christ's atonement was not merely for the justification, that is, the, the treating all of us as righteous even though we are not. If, if that's all it were, then Paul needn't add this who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. The response to that justification is that we no longer owe allegiance, we, we renounce our allegiance to the flesh and we proclaim allegiance to the Spirit and therefore we have this, we, we are law keepers. Whereas before, simply because of the law, because of our sinfulness, we could not be law keepers. Our response to the atonement is to become, to, to owe our allegiance to the Spirit. It changes our heart. Yes. Yeah. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, he talk, uh, the prophet talks about that peace. But he, has wound, but he has wounded for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Yeah. Christ was wounded. He was crushed. He was chastised. 
And the stripes, you know, he was even beat, flogged. And, you know, that is how much he went through. You know, this is the obedient serving going through quite a bit for our sakes. And then it's interesting, the next verse is one we're probably all more familiar with. All we have like sheep gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our iniquities were laid on Christ. Then if someone would be kind enough to read verses 5 through 11. Okay. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in, the, if, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your, to your mortal bodies through, the spirit, through his Spirit who dwells in you. Thank you. You know, we're looking now at works of, of the Spirit and how it works. Jewish law in and of itself wasn't bad because it was created to give order. It was then how it was used. It was, its use was wrong in that, as I mentioned before, and we've mentioned several times, several weeks as we've gone through this, is that their focus became entirely on the law which corrupted them. They became aware of their sin, as we talked about, because the law was given and it wrote down what needed to be done. But they became so overwhelmed by it, they, you know, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. So even if you were trying to obey the law, you got tripped up by it because you worked too hard at it and lost focus on it. And that's what we have to do with walking in the Spirit is we've got to let the Spirit lead and not try to drag the Spirit along with us to justify our actions. And so, you know, they, the order was given to help create order out of, you know, the rumblings that were going on to help them see. And, you know, so wrong use led to corruption, and it still can happen. I got to thinking as I was pondering on this some, I got to thinking about acts of kindness. And acts of kindness can start because the Spirit leads us into doing something. And then it can lead to corruption when some people sit and hear others saying, hey, John, that was great what you did. And John hears that too many times, and John then, or, you know, me or any one of us, we start trying to look for opportunities to, to do it. And it's all of a sudden our pride takes over. And so something that started off as being good within us started corrupting us. 
And that's kind of, you know, in some ways what led to the Jewish, I won't say downfall, but led to all their misconceptions, and that's how the law then corrupted them. Because, uh, you know, whether it be pride, as in the kindness of acts, uh, acts of kindness I mentioned, you know, my pride takes over. So then I'm corrupted by pride, not what might be doing to help somebody else. Um, you know, the... The flesh versus the spirit becomes where our mind is focused. If, if we're, um, you know, who anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but in Christ is in you, you know. So Christ the spirit, and that's one thing, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, Paul in this area starts using some Christ and the spirit and all starts, kind of becoming interchangeable the way he's using it. But, you know, when you stop and think about the Trinity, that can become the case, you know, the Spirit of Christ. And then the, the earlier on in, in that verse is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is from both and is with both. Um, and so, you know, when you're following for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it doesn't submit to God's law. Uh, you know, doing those things that you know, we get drawn to do, particularly before, um, you know, we know Christ. Uh, we still can get drawn to him because we don't let our, we don't listen to the right voice. Um, you know, it's thinking a lot of, I guess we all remember Flip Wilson when he'd do his little routine. The devil made me do it, you know, and he'd have the little, you know, um, little devil on one shoulder and a little angel on the other shoulder. But, it, you know, it, it's good. It's which voice are you listening to? Because both of them are crying out in where we live. We hear, uh, can hear both of them daily. Um, and so it's, you know, it's in fact the Spirit of God that dwells in us. And the more we allow the Spirit of God to dwell in us, the more we hear that voice and that voice only. But being in the world, we're going to hear both. It's how we respond. You know, when God raised Jesus, the human person of Jesus, from the dead, he raised the Messiah who represented God's people. And so God guarantees to those people that what happened to the Messiah will happen to them. You know, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Now, so we have life in our body. Now, yes, we are going to die at some point in time. Our mortal physical body will die. But the spirit will reign with him and be there with him. Um, it's one of those kind of almost passage of time type deals as we get and, and develop our understanding. Hopefully we hear better and we understand better that one day we'll be there with him. Then at 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Thought you were yeah. going to say no, something. Okay. No, no, yeah. No. okay. Yeah. If by the Spirit you put to death the, the deeds of your body, you will live. You know, so here again, that's one of those things. If we let the Spirit dwell within us, we'll put the deeds of the body, the flesh, to death. And it, you know, here he says also, so then, brothers, we are debtors. You know, you would think in some respects he would say we need to be gracious and thankful. But, you know, we're not debtors of the flesh to live according to the flesh. But we have a debt. We're debtors to God. And as debtors, we have obligations. I mean, think about notes. Well, not even notes that you sign. Think, think about the fine print on the back of your credit card bill. There are obligations that we have. And, you know... There are obligations that we have as being brothers, uh, and that's to live according to the Spirit. You know, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. You know, we have become an heir, just like Christ. So heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We have inherited a new spirit. We've inherited eternal life that we will able to be able to say no to the things of this world. And, you know, the early Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, they followed a cloud or a tower of fire, depending on if it was day or night, and where to go. And there were at times... They thought, there were rumblings, that it would be easier and better to return to Egypt. They knew what was there in Egypt. They didn't like it, but they at least understood it. You know, sometimes there is a comfort in knowing, even though you don't like the feeling that you're getting and how you feel, there's a comfort in the known, as bad as it might be. Well, it's not that, you know, so there is a comfort and continuing to follow and let the Spirit lead, and that we know that, you know, there in the latter part of uh, verse 17, provided we suffer with him, it's provided we have a willingness to suffer with him, and that we may be glorified with him in a new creation. Um, the... Um, the Holy Spirit, you know, the, looking at 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There is a, somewhat a coming together of the Spirit within us with God's Holy Spirit. 
and for that to properly take place so that we would be heirs is that God's spirit, while they combine, takes over our spirit. It follows within us. And that's where hearing that voice is important to what God's leading us and trying to help us understand to follow and not that other voice going, it's okay. You know, go ahead and do it. I, you know, I know there are times when I've wrestled with, I've heard and gone, ah, it's not going to hurt. Yeah, but after you've done it two or three times, it starts weighing on you more. And that's where you have to come and confess. But if you sit there and go, okay, it's harder to fess up, you know, think about sometimes even, um, you know, you have did something wrong as a kid and you have to fess up to one of your parents about it and you think about it and you just, oh, you know, it can just drive you crazy. And then you go and confess to the parent of what you've done and a loving parent will let you know, yeah, it was wrong, but you feel better after you've confessed it. I was reading something similar to this in, um, I've been reading 41, uh, George II's uh, biography of his dad. And uh, I think we all know George W. had a problem with alcohol a bit in his youth. And he was telling the time when he hit the neighbor's garbage can when he came whirling into the... um, driveway and uh, his mother met him at the door and Barbara told him your father needs to talk to you and he went into the den George H.W. looked at him didn't say a word pulled the paper back up kept reading and he just and George W. went up to his room and just the torment of the message that came from his father by saying nothing well, that's that's can kind of happen to us of just that torment until we confess what we've done and get that let God's spirit carry our spirit. Thoughts, comments. Sort of brings to mind the ad I see every now and then early in the morning in MSNBC, which I'm about to swear off of since they've got rid of Chuck Todd in there. Uh, well, it is Lent coming up. Hmm? It is Lent coming up. Lent is coming up. You can give up MSNBC. There's the ad for small businesses, and this woman says, if you mess up, fess up, which I think is sort of a cute way of putting it. Um, the um, you know looking down, and I, I really want to save next week some for um, for us to start with because there's a lot of discussion out of the next. But looking at verse 18, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed for us. You know. And, and it's there. There is a lot more, you know, the suffering that we may go through now. It's like there really is a pot at the end of the rainbow. And, you know, it, there's a lot more there so that if we feel suffering, you know, we're, 
we're put down, we're abused. Uh, and obviously the early Christians in Rome um, had been. Uh, part of you know the, the book of Romans has been written to the church there. And the Jewish Christians, where the Jews had been thrown out of Rome by the Caesar prior to Nero. Nero. And they had been coming back. Well, you know, the suffering that they went through, there is something greater later on. Um, And in verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Well, futility, the word in the Greek used there, is the same word in Ecclesiastes used for vanity. But um, anyway, I, you know, a little ahead, but I think um, would like to just stop here because if we get into the next several verses, um, we'll have a bad cutoff for, for next week. You want to punt it over to John, is that what you yeah, I think that's a polite way of, I was trying to be polite, but you ran into it. We're about to get to where Paul talks about predestination, so he's going to leave that for me. Thanks a lot, Steve. As I go to Richmond. Yeah, Steve goes to Richmond this week. And-